everyone, welcome back to another episode of Buddy's House of Horror Podcast, and welcome to the top 10 video games that sparked my horror interest. Last year we did my top 10 TV shows, the year before that we did top 10 movies, and now we're on to the third medium in which I love, video games. We're going to be talking about all the video games that shaped who I am as a person from a very young age in chronological order of when I was playing them. So it's a very fun episode for you guys, and we're just going to get right to the show, and actually there's one game on this list that I've really been dying to play and you know what I'm gonna save it for the episode so make sure you check it out and let me know what games you have that have shaped your horror interest down in the comment section below if you're watching over on YouTube if you are on YouTube make sure you're subscribing to the show and turning on notifications so you know when new episodes of Buddy's House of Horror come out and if you're listening to this over on Spotify Apple Podcasts Google Podcasts wherever you get the show make sure you're leaving me a five-star rating and a review help me spread the good word about the House of Horror tell all your friends family members about it. And with that, we're just going to get right to the episode. So enjoy my top 10 video games that sparked my horror interest. Now it's time to get spooky. All right, we're rolling sound here on this beautiful October day. I absolutely love the October weather. If you guys haven't heard me talk about that by now, I love everything about October, including the weather. This is why fall is so much better than springtime, because it's cool weather, you can wear a hoodie and a pair of shorts, and you don't necessarily have to worry about rain all the time. That's the one thing about spring that I cannot stand. It's just way too damn rainy. I mean, I get April showers bring May flowers, but Jesus Christ, autumnal delights? Come on, bro. Um, I love the changing of the leaves. We've got beautiful leaves outside, and I'm very excited to be recording today's episode on this beautiful day. Um, Of course, I was already out and about out of the house, getting some stuff done in the morning, had to enjoy the day while I could, and now the rest of the day is devoted to straight business. And that starts here with this episode. You guys have read the title, you heard my intro, we're going to be talking about the top 10 video games that sparked my horror interest. And if anything, if 2022 is anything besides the year of technical difficulties for the House of Horror, it is the year that's built upon sequels to episodes that I did in previous years. I mean, just last year I did my review of Halloween Kills, and not only did I do my re-review of Halloween Kills, but also reviewing Halloween Ends. Um, I did a video that was about the Fruit Brute, which was a follow-up to the serials video that I did the previous year, ranking all of the monster serials. Um, I did the sequel to Top 10, you know, Nightmare on Elm Street and Halloween films, following it up with Friday the 13th. And this video right now is absolutely no different from the rest. Of course, two years ago during the House of Horror, I did the top 10 films that sparked my horror interest. Last year, I did the top 10 slash 20 television shows that sparked my horror interest. And today, we're going to be talking about video games. For those of you guys that know me, I was a huge gamer back in my day. Um, not so much in this common era. I don't have as much time for video games as I would have liked to have in this current stage of my life. I'm not as much of a gamer as I once was. I'm more of a casual gamer. I'll game if I have friends over. We'll do some multiplayer, stuff like that. Or if a big game comes out that I'm really excited about, I'll play the shit out of it. Um, probably in most recent memory. 
the biggest games and the games that I've sucked myself the most into was the remake of Resident Evil 2, Resident Evil 8 Village. I played a million times. I think I beat Resident Evil 8 at least like six or seven times at this point. Really, really love Resident Evil 8. Um, I played the game Stray for one day when it came out. I played the game Stray for like four hours when it first came out, but I haven't touched it since. That's something I have to get back to is playing Stray. I mean, you play as a little cat. I mean, where could you possibly go wrong with that? Um, but yeah, I'm nowhere near as much as a gamer as I was when I was a child. And we're going to be breaking down ten of the games that sparked my horror interest. And I guess a little bit, I'll talk about the film's in the TV shows just briefly, if you guys haven't seen either of those episodes of the show, I would highly recommend go checking them out. Of course, the first one I did, I, I did the top 10 films that, at the time I was calling it Scratched My Horror Itch, but I changed it to Sparked My Horror Interest, where I talk about a bunch of films from my childhood that really helped shape who I am today. Films like The Little Vampire, Scooby-Doo on Zombie Island and The Witch's Ghost, um, I talked about Willy Wonka in the Chocolate Factory and that super messed up, you know, boat ride scene. Um, I talked about all those old Disney animated movies that would have some sort of spooky elements to it. Ghostbusters. I talked about The Mummy's Ghost, which was the first horror film that I ever saw. Um, back when my father fell asleep on the couch and I just happened to wander downstairs and catch some of the most traumatizing stuff that I ever saw in my life as a small child, The Mummy's Ghost. But yeah, I break down 10 films that sparked my horror interest. It is a video over on my YouTube channel, so you can't find it on Spotify or Apple Podcast. It is a video-only episode, so definitely go and check that out over on my YouTube channel. Again, that's the top 10 films that sparked my horror interest. Last year, I did the top 10 TV shows that sparked my horror interest, which was also in podcast format, so it can also be found on YouTube as well as Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever you're getting the show, wherever you're listening to this right now, whether it be over on YouTube or Spotify, wherever it is, you can find the top 10 television shows that I watched that sparked my horror interest on the platform that you're watching it at this current moment, and I talked about all kinds of shows on there. I had honorable mentions. I had live action shows. Um, so it was like 10 animated, like, cartoon shows, five honorable sort of mentions that just barely made the cut, and then five live-action shows giving you 20 total, stuff like Scooby-Doo, Courage the Cowardly Dog, um, I talked about old episodes of the Looney Tunes with a little spooky influence, Danny Phantom, the Hashling and Slasher episode of SpongeBob, on the live-action side, I talked about, you know... All those sitcoms that used to have Halloween specials where it was just like one or two episodes or an episode every year, like Roseanne, Boy Meets World. I talked about The Munsters, Adam's Family. Of course, The Twilight Zone was a huge influence on me back in the day. Um, stuff like Invader Zim, the animated Adams Family, the Treehouse of Horror, The Simpsons, of course, that's a big one for me as well. The best episodes of The Simpsons are always the Treehouse of Horror episodes, and I even did a ranking of all the Treehouse of Horror episodes that were out at the current moment in time when I made that episode, so go check that one out. That one, it's not one of my finest, it's not one of the episodes I'm the most proud of, but I'm really proud of the content, but I'm not really necessarily proud of my performance in that episode. But the Treehouse of Horror ranked. I went through every episode of the Treehouse of Horror that I love. 
So those are some episodes to check out as sort of a background to the episode that we are talking about today. Besides that, just to give a little bit more insight into me and my gaming background, and there's also going to be a lot of carryover with this video as well. A lot of you guys are aware of the House of Horror. You guys are obviously listening to it right now. But I also do another podcast called Brain Damage with my good friends Dynamite Jared and Midnight Miles Mandroid, the Midnight Jester. So last year we went through and we talked about all of our favorite games of all time. And it was three separate shows. We did one of all of Jared's favorite games, all of Miles's favorite games, and then the finale was all of my favorite games. So if you want insight on my top 10 favorite games of all time. Again, there is a lot of crossover with this list today, but if you want to check out what my top 10 favorite video games of all time are, definitely go check out that episode of Brain Damage. Again, available over on my YouTube and available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and everything of the sort. But just to give more background, and I'm not going to be plugging old episodes, just to talk about my background as a gamer. So I started playing video games at a very early age, but it wasn't games that you may have heard of. It's not games that are really on a mainstream console. I played a lot of computer games back in my early childhood. I mean, you had like Jumpstart Kindergarten, stuff like that, Jumpstart Preschool, educational games, but I also had some little movie maker games on my very, very insanely clunky Mac laptop computer from the 90s. And the first, like, TV console that I owned was actually called a Pico. I don't know if many people have heard of Pico before, but it was basically a video game console, but it was also, like, a reading tool. Like, I remember there being, like, books, and the way you played the game was you kind of, like, went through the books that were connected. Like, it was, like, a weird kind of console setup because you'd have to put the book, like, on this, basically a tray where you were going through the pages and you would be playing the game up on the screen. So, I guess it was very revolutionary at the time. I mean, it was made for real, real little kids. I don't even know if you would technically consider it a video game console. Let's look up the Pico right now. So, I'm going to go quick Google search. Pico video game system. And we're going to see what pops up. Because I don't know if it even is considered a video game console. So, the Sega Pico. So, it was made by Sega. I wasn't aware that it was made by Sega. Because I, at the time, I just call it the Pico. Like, I don't know. The Sega Pico, also known as the Kids Computer Pico, is an educational video game console by Sega Toys. Marketed as, marketed as edutainment. Like, education and entertainment. Edutainment. The main focus of the Pico was educational video games for children between the ages of 3 and 7 years old. And it was released in June 1993 and November 1994 in North America. So that's probably around the time when I got the Pico. It was probably around 1994, 1995-ish, which would have put me at two, three years old. So there were a lot of games I was playing on this. Like, I remember there was a, um, like a Lion King game, I want to say. There was stuff like that, a lot of, like, Disney-related stuff. Um, some history games where you would learn basic reading, history, um, stuff like that. Nothing too crazy. So those were my very first games at a very, very young age. And we'll go through my list of the top 10 games, not necessarily in order of which ones were more influential on me than others. They're going to be based like chronologically. So it's going to be going through the games that I played from the first all the way until the end. 
So obviously the games that started when I was the youngest are going to be the first ones I'm going to be discussing. And then it's going to go through, you know, my elementary school years and some like junior high. There wasn't really much in high school that what I would say shaped my horror interest because I was already sort of interested in horror at the time. So this is kind of before that. These are the things where I was still kind of figuring things out, getting exposed to things for the first time. And I guess like spoiler alert, also during this time, I wasn't necessarily allowed to play like M-rated games, stuff like that. I was only playing games that I was roughly around the age I was supposed to be playing them at. The only time I really got exposed to more mature level games is if I happened to be staying the night at a friend's house or something, and it's like, oh, oh, we're going over Zach's tonight. Zach has Halo, like stuff like that. You know what I mean? Like I was never really allowed to play those kind of games at my own home, and I didn't really have exposure to them until I was a little bit older. So there's not going to be like Silent Hills on this list because obviously I was not playing Silent Hill or Silent Hill 2 or the early, early Resident Evil games as a child when they were coming out. These were things that I only heard about vaguely in passing, not really knowing too, too much about the games. There are a, There is a game or two on my list that's based solely upon, like, legend. And, like, the legendary status of these games sparked my horror interest, although I never played them, really, as a child. The legend and the lore and, you know, just the stories kids would say at school or I'd see, like, early footage online of the games, that's what was sparking my horror interest. But, like, no Silent Hill, no, like, Resident Evil, like, early Resident Evil games, like, 1 through 3, like, that would have been... At peak years when I'm getting exposed to these kind of things. Um, I'm not saying there's not a Resident Evil game on my list, but it's definitely a game that I played a little bit later on in life. Like, I think the Resident Evil game is probably going to be like one of the last ones that I talk about in this list, because as I said, I'm going through this sequentially. So, what was the first console that I had? And I guess you're getting a little bit of history about myself, but what was the first console that I had after I had that Pico gaming system? What was the first console that my family got for me? It wasn't the Nintendo 64, it wasn't the Sega Genesis, it wasn't the PlayStation, it was something sandwiched kinda in a weird middle ground between these consoles. It was after Genesis, it was the next Sega console. So the first two consoles I owned were Sega consoles, the Pico and the Sega Saturn. Very underrated console. You don't really hear too many people talk about the Sega Saturn. You hear a lot of people talk about Genesis, and you hear a lot of people skip all the way to Dreamcast. It's the cool thing now to like Dreamcast. At the time, not so much. But the Saturn is even more obscure than that. I don't know how I got the Sega Saturn. I believe it was a gift from my grandparents for Christmas or something like that. But it wasn't it wasn't the console that all the kids at school had. All the kids were getting ready to get a Nintendo 64 or a PlayStation, something like that. I was the only person that I knew that had a Sega Saturn. So, and I'm still the only person to this day that I know that has owned a Sega Saturn. So if you've ever owned a Sega Saturn, definitely reach out to me. Let me know what games that you were playing on your Sega Saturn. I would genuinely want to know because maybe there's some overlap with some of the games that I played early on. Like Sonic 3D Blast on Sega Saturn, Nights into Dreams. Um, I played a few, a few Saturn games, including my first pick 
for the top 10 games that sparked my horror interest. A sequel to a game that I had never played, but this might be the first actual, like, legit video game that I played that wasn't an educational game. It was called Bug 2. Many people probably haven't heard of Bug 1, let alone the sequel, Bug 2. But Bug 2 is my first pick for the top 10 games that sparked my horror interest. And I'll tell you why, but first, a word from our sponsor. Are you tired of plain old breakfast? Cereal's not sugary enough? Are you tired of burnt pancakes and waffles? Then you need Slapjacks! The Slapjack gets your face and it causes a chemical reaction to heat off! No cooking required, just slap and eat! Don't believe us? Here's a satisfied customer! Slapjacks are the best breakfast food ever made! Slapjacks, slap those smiles back! <laughs> You heard of your kids. Slapjack saves lives. Order at www.slapjacks.com. All right, and we're back. Thank you to our corporate overlords for sponsoring today's episode. If you guys haven't had any slapjacks yet today, make sure you're getting in your slapjacks. Um, just to break the fourth wall a little bit about why I paused for the cause at that exact moment in time. For some reason, my neighbor decided it was time to start weed whacking. And I decided it was best to err on the side of caution to give the episode a quick pause and to resume when the weed whacking has been completed. I'm not sure if it would have picked up or not, but I definitely didn't want to take the risk. And I took a bit, little bit of time. I had a, um, a cup of tea in a very clear mug, which was a very exhilarating experience. I love a clear mug. Had some English breakfast tea today. No coffee for me today. I'm on the tea train. And yeah, during that time, I also watched this Cinemassacre Monster Madness video that was released today where he was talking about the films that were within the film Halloween, like The Thing and Forbidden Planet and Night of the Living Dead, which appears in Halloween 2. Very, very good video. Highly recommend checking out that video over on Cinemassacre.com. Um, he's only doing a few videos this year for Monster Madness, and that's definitely the the one to check out so far. I mean, he's only released a couple, but I really enjoyed that video that he just put out. Definitely makes you think of Halloween, the film, and its connections to the thing from another world and these other things in a different way. It really makes you think, and he brought up a lot of points that I had never thought of before. So very, very fun video. But needless to say, we need to get back to our list. And we already announced the first one before the break, which was Bug 2. And this game was on Sega Saturn. It came out on Sega Saturn um, before it came out on PC. And it actually came out on Sega Saturn in America before it came out in Japan. Which leads me to believe it was like an American game, maybe. Um, I'm not really sure. I, can, I mean, I can look. Yeah, it was an American developer. So yeah, it came out in America a little bit before it came out in Japan. And it was the sequel to an original game called Bug, and this is Bug 2. To follow the story of Bug 2, it's basically like six big worlds, and they're all based off of films. They're like film parodies, and the, the story of the game is that there's a filmmaker, and he's recruiting our three actors, Bug, Maggot Dog, who is a maggot, um, but he has dog-like qualities, and Superfly, who's a fly, and he wears, like, a disco outfit, he's got an afro, he's got the, the platforms on, he's in a whole 70s getup, 
And they just got signed to a six-picture deal, and all six movies are being filmed in a single day. Um, this film, this game, it's a side-scrolling platformer. Um, it's got it's got good graphics for the time. I mean, it's not like fully 3D graphics, but it's kind of like that pre-rendered like 3D, 2D kind of style. Um, but I want to talk about the first level in particular of this game. And but before I do that, I want to talk about the intro to this game because it starts with a parody of those TH. THX intros with that loud like booming noise for the audio it does that it and that in and of itself is a horror kind of thing because that was scary as hell as a kid listening to that before movies and stuff and it starts the first level you are you know you're it's setting the tone we got a little cutscene and of course the cutscenes are just a little bit scary because the the cutscenes are in 3d but it's that early three it's a early CG 3D where things don't really look right so it just kind of has like a creepy look to begin with and our first scene of course and our first level of the game is the horror level which is affectionately called Weevil Dead 2 of course based off of Evil Dead 2 we get a cut scene where your limousine is being taken over by monsters they're shaking the car and I remember as a kid that was actually very very scary and this whole level is just a scary vibe all around. There's like a creepy castle in the background. It's not really based off of Evil Dead 2, like the actual film. That's just what they called it as like a punny title. It's basically just a whole bunch of horror stuff mixed together. I mean, you're walking through like this abandoned cemetery. As I said, there's a big castle in the background. There's purple. You're fighting ghosts. And the final boss of this level is actually a big dragon that comes out of the lava. And the only reason that this had such a profound experience for me, not only was it like one of the first games of all time, it's one of the first like spooky games of all time in my life. Um, very, very influential at an early age. And I mean, there's bats flying around and basically like it's not... And the reason why it's so scary to me and why it's so embermed in my brain, it's a little bit hard to talk about, but the reason is because as a kid, obviously this is one of the first games that I played, I never got past this first level. I played it so many times as a kid, and I was never actually able to get... It was very rare for me to actually get to the end of the level, let alone beating the dragon. I mean, like, forget about it. There's these big, like, pillars that would come down and smack you. You're fighting, like, um... There's, like, a rotating, like, Indiana Jones type thing. I want to refer to it as, you know, it's, like, a platform that if your weight is, like, overbalanced, you could fall off the edge. And the, the I, from what I remember, I would always normally play as Bug, but every once in a while I would play as one of the other two characters. I think each character's version of it is slightly different. So, of course, I'm most familiar with... Bugs version of the level, but there's definitely other versions of the level if you're playing as the maggot or if you're playing as Superfly. Um, but I remember this being, you know, really, really influential to me at the time, and I played the game quite frequently. I really, really enjoyed playing Bug 2, even though I was terrible at it. I mean, God knows, when I was a kid, like, I probably thought that once you beat the dragon, that was the entire game. Like, I don't know. For me, 
It's a real. I would love to revisit Bug Two. I haven't played it since I was a kid. It's definitely a game I would love to revisit. I remember it having a lot of humor, and although the imagery really scared me as a kid, I mean it didn't traumatize me too much. Where I don't want to talk about it today. Um, I'm very very nostalgic for the game, and yeah. After that, I went on to play like Sonic 3D Blast and stuff like that. But that might have been the first video game that I ever played. And going chronologically, the next we're going to be talking about is Pokemon Red slash Blue. I mean, I played both around the same time. I mainly played Red, but I mean, they're essentially like, I mean, I don't want to say they're essentially the same game, but they're essentially the same game. Little differences here and there, especially with like the color palette. Um, but the reason I like you're thinking, why the hell would this be on a game talking about your top 10 like horror influences in video games? Lavender Town is a thing. Lavender Town is real. Lavender Town was some spooky stuff when you were a kid. Going into the little, like, mausoleum, like, underground fucking, um, I don't even know what they technically called it, but basically when you're going to get, uh, Cubone's mother, and you're looking out spooky stuff in there, there's all those creepy ladies in there challenging you to Pokemon battles, the music is stuff of legend, I mean, everyone's heard the stories that they had to change the pitch of the song, because it was making, you know, people freak out, if you could hear, like, the super high-pitched frequencies in that, so Lavender Town is the big thing, like, I could go on a whole tangent about Lavender Town, and just talk about all the spooky things in there, of course, there's all the ghost-type Pokemon, like Ghastly's, and you're going to be doing the Ghost Gym at some point in the future, it's not, like, directly after that, but it's pretty damn near close to after Lavender Town, and you have to fight Gary in there, and of course it's just intimidating seeing Gary at that time in the game, because every time you run into Gary, especially when you're a kid, his shit is like way overpowered for where you're at at that level. Of course, I've replayed the game as an adult, and I kick Gary's ass every fucking time walking into Lavender Town, but I remember like as a kid, like his shit was always so overpowered, it took me so many times to beat Gary. And even leading up to Lavender Town, you have to go through this dark cave where you're fighting zoo bats and there's it's like a maze. You're not really sure which way to go. And what made it even worse for me as a kid is I didn't know that you had to have a Pokemon that could use the move Flash to light up the cave. So I literally spent hours in the complete darkness. Like you can't see anything like at all. Like it's literally like a black screen. Just going through this cave, fighting stuff. Miraculously, somehow, I was able to get through it a few times as a kid. And of course, once I learned that, oh, you just use Flash and the cave lights up, things got a lot easier. But at the time, when I was doing this, I was literally scared shitless out of my mind going through this cave. I didn't know where the hell to go, what moves to take, where I was supposed to turn. And the game also... Just in, on top of all the spooky stuff, you always heard about the game glitches, the rumors surrounding the game, like there's this, um, the missing no, basically, where there's like this Pokemon glitch, which you can actually get in the game and get a bunch of rare candies, but there's all, there were all these stories and rumors in the game, you know, like, the ghost Pokemon is actually Gengar's mom, like, Gengar's mom 
turns into a ghost. The ghosts are actually Clefairies and Clefables that have died because the it kind of looks like Gengar. There's all these things surrounding this game that you would hear as a kid. You would hear about the creepy truck, and it's like, oh, if you go down there at this exact time and do it with this Pokemon who's at this level, when you flip it, Mew will be there, or something scary could be there. We heard all kinds of like spooky shit about this game when we were a kid. And of course, some Pokemon were just downright scary. I mean, I remember going to see Pokemon, the first movie in theaters, hearing about Mewtwo, and I was scared shitless, and like, Mewtwo is in this game, so I was like, scared to even go and fight Mewtwo in Pokemon Red. So, Pokemon Red, very big horror influence, it's weird to say that Pokemon Red was a horror influence for me, but when you really boil it down, it kind of was. So, I have no qualms leaving it in my list of games that sparked my spooky horror interest. So yes, naturally, the next console that I owned was my Game Boy Color, where I was playing these Pokemon games as well. Um, I had a bunch of games on Game Boy Color, but nothing really that I can talk to to the extent that Pokemon did for my horror influences. Of course, I played a ton of Game Boy games and stuff like that. Some had a little bit of a spooky edge at times, but nothing really as impactful on that handheld console as impactful as Pokemon Red and Blue. Going chronologically again, so this is when I got my N64, the Nintendo 64. After playing it at a friend's house, I begged my parents to please get me a Nintendo 64. I don't know if this is completely factual, but this is my own fabrication and misremembrance of the story. <clears throat> and it's the story I always tell. Then my dad would say, hey man, I'll get you an N64, but you gotta hit a home run at your Little League game. So I got a home run at one of my Little League games, and I got the N64, and then shortly thereafter, I quit baseball. That's the story I like to tell. I don't know if that's the facts that actually went down or not, but needless to say, I got an N64 around this time. Probably like first, second grade-ish um, because my friend Ben had an N64, and playing it over at his house, I was like, bro, <clears throat> I gotta get one of these things. So I ended up getting the N64, and I got a lot of the major classics that you would come to expect with an N64. And we're gonna go through a few of them right now, because all of them have spooky things in them, regardless if you remember them or not. But a lot of these things had a lot of resounding impact on me and it made me interested in horror at a spooky age and the first one that I will talk about is probably the first game that I played extensively on N64 as many of you as well was Mario 64 Super Mario 64 this game I got, pro I mean, it, it was a launch title for the N64, <clears throat> and I don't think I got the N64 launch year, it was a little bit after that, but regardless, the game, I mean, it was still a new game, basically, and tons of scary stuff in Mario 64, it sounds ridiculous to say, um, you could do scary stuff in the game too, like you could throw the penguin off into the abyss, and, but the game did have some scary stuff that was actually in the game. That damn piano, man. Um, not piano man as in Billy Joel, but that damn piano. Everyone who's played the game knows what I'm talking about. And it's just the way that the piano kind of comes to life. It happens 
either a little before you're expecting it or a little after you're expecting it. The timing is like never the same every time you do it. Of course, this is in Big Boo's Haunt, which of course is a horror-themed level. You're in a haunted house. Um, I have a feeling it was a little bit of a precursor to a game I'm going to be talking about a little bit later in the list. But regardless, that whole level had scary shit going on. There were boos, there was, you know, King Boo, you're fighting him in, like, the main lobby of the hotel. You're falling down, there's a lot of backtracking, there's a lot of scary shit. There's, you know, those eyeballs you gotta run around until they explode, which are in other levels, too, of course. <clears throat> the game just in general has, like, a very, like, spooky vibe. Of course, there's, like, the underground, like, kind of, like, swampy area where you turn into, like, Metal Mario that had some creepy shit in it, too. Um, I was even scared of, like, that little rabbit that was in the basement that you had to run around and check. It's not even a horror character. I just thought it was, like, creepy. Like, sometimes he was there. <laughs> sometimes he wasn't there. Um, I thought it was a little creepy. Um, some other things in the game that are also scary, just, like, when you're running towards the painting and the painting's going to change, it starts out as Peach, and then as you go closer, it turns into Bowser. Of course, Bowser's laugh when you get game overs. Bowser's laugh when you enter. After those changing paintings, you fall down the pit, you're in Bowser's levels, and the little directions pop up on the screen or whatever, then he just laughs in your face. Um, tons of spooky shit in Mario 64. Really all the, and I think like all the big bosses in the game are scary. You know, you've got Thwomp at the top of his castle coming at you. You've got the giant ba -bomb. There's tons of spooky shit in Mario 64 after you look back at it. I mean, hell, it's got that eel. You guys know what I'm talking about in the, in the one underwater level where you're going and you're swimming and that big red eel comes out and starts following you around. Scary shit, man, in Mario 64. Of course, when you first enter Big Boo's haunt, you know, you kind of see Boo in the hallway, you chase him, and there's a bunch of Boo's out in that courtyard and you get sucked into the little um, the little canister thing where the level is uh, contained. Um, tons of scary shit in Mario 64. And it also carries over a little bit into Super Mario Sunshine. It didn't make my list, but there's also, like, the spooky level with the stingrays, um, which is some creepy shit. And, yeah, so Mario 64, it had some scary stuff in it. Regardless on if you want to acknowledge it or not, Mario 64 definitely makes my list of spooky stuff in video games. And it definitely sparked my horror interest at a very young age. The next one I want to talk about, I'm going to try to keep relatively brief because really I could do a whole podcast just about this one game because there's so much and I didn't even take, I didn't even write any notes down at all for this next one because I know I need to keep it brief. So I don't want to refresh my memory as much as I can. I'm going to take a little swig of water. Maybe I'll remember to cut that out. Maybe I won't remember to cut that out. I guess it doesn't really matter too much. It was just a quick sip. You guys can, you know, forgive a quick sip of water. Majora's Mask. My favorite video game of all time. One of my favorite, like, it's my favorite video game of all time. I, I mean, I just said that. I don't even know how to describe it in any other way to you. There is so much in this game that helped shape who I am that it's, as I said, it's impossible to kind of even describe it. 
But I guess, like, on the spooky side of the spectrum, I mean, the big obvious one that's staring at you the entire time, it's right there, anytime you look up, is the moon with the terrifying face just etched into it. There's Skull Kid, who, of course, you meet very early on in the game in the opening cutscene when he's stealing the mask from the Happy Mask Salesman, who, in his own right, is horrifying. Just kind of the way they animated him, the way they made his character. I mean, like, he'll say one thing, and then it'll jump cut, and he's, like, in a different position doing another crazy emotion on his face. There's so much scary shit in this game in every single level, every single world. There's so much... The feeling of dread that you get that when you're playing this game is unmatched. Of course, you have, like, the Gibdo house, where the guy turned himself into a mummy, basically trying to save his daughter. There's, like, the underground Gibdo mines. That whole area is just very, very spooky, intentionally all the way throughout. But even some of the areas of the games that aren't necessarily that spooky still have that spooky edge. Like, you know, just Clock Town in general. Like, all the people, there's just a weird vibe on everyone. There's, you know... The Stone Tower Temple got tons of scary shit in there. The Elegy of Emptiness is a very scary song with very scary implications. And of course, you're leaving these disembodied like statues of yourself in your various different forms. Every different form that you're in is someone who has passed away. So it's like your spirit is like a ghost. You're like keeping them alive. It's There's so much in this game that spooks me to my very core. And, of course, as I said, it's a game that I could talk about to death. And there's tons of fan theories about the game, like that Link was dead the entire time. There's the whole Ben Drowned creepypasta. But even taking those out of that, because I wasn't aware of any of that when I was a kid, the game still has the spooky energy that is just unmatched. Like, if I were to rank these by, like, an order of spookiness or an order of the highest level of influence, this would be at the top. But... And just something about, like, literally when I played it as a kid, I was so fucking bad at the game that I never got out of Deku form until after playing the game for, like, a long time. Like, there were so many times I would be playing through the game, and then after the third day, the, the moon would just crash into the earth and everyone would die. Like, literally, like, me as a kid, like, literally the entire world gets destroyed and you watch it happen. There, like... And then once I moved further into the game, the trauma and the spooky shit just continued to intensify. But I just remember, like, the first couple times I played the game, like, literally, like, it was just me playing three days and then dying and then starting everything over again. Um, again, there's so much. Like, the enemies are scary. The, all the temples, there's spooky shit in the temples. Um, again, all the masks are creepy. There's one where, like, there's the dancing ghost guy and you got to dance with him to get his mask. There's the pose when you're underground and you're with, like, Dampy the Gravekeeper and you're trying to get all the pose, and I don't, there's just so much in this game that I can't even, like, really put it into words, and I'm, like, jumping all over the place because I'm just remembering various different things about the game. You get the stone mask because there's, like, a dead soldier whose spirit, like, needs to move on. He's invisible, and he's wearing this mask. I, I, I think the implication was he was supposed to be dead or something. 
but um, I don't know, man. There's just so much in Majora's Mask. Of course, Majora's Mask itself is just creepy in general. When I finally did get to the final boss of the game and you're fighting like Majora's like incarnation, Majora's wrath and stuff like that, like that shit's scary. He's just like flip uh, whipping you with his flesh arms. And I don't know. The game is just insane. Quick shout out to Ocarina of Time. Um, in the Shadow Temple with all the hands coming out of the ground. But, unfortunately, as a kid, I never made it that far. So, it can't even be in the list for me. And a lot of the things in that game... Like, to me, I just love Majora's Mask a lot better. And, I don't know, there's not much else I can really say about Majora's Mask that I haven't said in other shows without completely break down, breaking down the entire game, breaking down every level, breaking down all the lore breaking down, you know, every, basically anything that happens in, in the game. It's hard to get me to talk about it, because I'll just go on and on and on and on about it without any rhyme or reason. Like, literally, I was jumping all over the place the entire time. Um, yeah, there's ghosts. You're, like, following Darmani's ghost. You, you know, there's so much shit in this game, of course. And it, it, on top of that, like, the implication, like, you're saving all these people, and then you're going back in time three days, and you're making their lives miserable again. Um, there's Kaifei stuff, which is incredibly creepy. There's, there's way too much in the game to really break down, so I'm just gonna leave it at that for now. Maybe someday in the future I will break down Majora's Mask, like, fully, fully in depth, go through every single thing in the game from beginning to end, because it's a topic I could just talk about pretty much endlessly. Um, but for the purposes of this, I don't really have too much else to say without just rambling on and on and on. And of course, I don't have the notes prepared, and I haven't replayed the game in about two or three years, so it's not as super fresh with every single little thing that happens in the game. So I'm not really prepared to go on a whole a whole speech about it at this exact moment in time, because again, it would take several podcasts if I did. Next few games are also on the Nintendo 64. I really like the Nintendo 64. If you have seen my top 10 video games of all time, you'll notice that a lot of these games are appearing on both lists, and a lot of the games on both lists are N64 games. The next one I will talk about is Donkey Kong 64. What can I say about Donkey Kong 64 to let you guys know how spooky Donkey Kong 64 truly is? Well, starters, you're talking to like a ghost Kong in it with creepy music playing on in the background. And when they disappear, they're like, Ooh! there's that again. There's just the spooky shit of King K rule. He's very scary in this game. Um, very, very intimidating. And of course this was at the same time I was watching this when you're watching like the television show of Donkey Kong country and the K rules from the show and the K rule in the game there was just, like, night and day. Like, one was goofy and one was, like, really scary. All the big bosses in this game are scary as well. Of course, you're fighting a giant dragonfly. That jack-in-the-box is creepy as hell. Um, that armadillo is scary with, like, the lightning and thunder and the rain pouring down in the background. I find the music in this game at times to be very unsettling. It's very, very beautiful music. But when it tries to amp up the creepy, it really does so. Um, what else in Donkey Kong 64? 
There's a whole level called Creepy Castle. It's meant to be scary. There's, you know, when you're in, like, the Aztec level and you're in those um, temples and you're under a certain time limit and then the voice just goes, Get out! And stuff like that. Like, the game knows that it's trying to be scary at times. It's very atmospheric at times. Um, there's a lot of backtracking in the game, which I don't like about the game. But the backtracking kind of makes it a little creepy because you're going to these areas that you've already been to and stuff is, like, cleared out. Except for, like, a couple bananas and stuff like that. Very eerie whenever you go into an area of the game and it just starts pouring down rain at you. That's how you know some spooky shit's about to go down. Um, yeah, there, I mean, there's not as much to say about these. I mean, if you guys have played the games and if I were showing gameplay, you guys would see what I'm talking about. But Donkey Kong 64 definitely was an influence on horror in me. And I know it sounds ridiculous to say, but it's true. And that's not... And it's the same in these next couple games that are coming out. And they're both very similar to Donkey Kong 64. They were made by the same studio, and they're actually both games within the same franchise. Um, the, these two games that I'm about to talk about are the same franchise is their direct sequels to each other very uncommon on n64 you're going to get a game and get a sequel to the same game on the same console it's kind of unique i mean it happened with zelda but to happen with banjo and kazooie that's a whole different story and the next game we're going to be talking about is because i played it first obviously is banjo kazooie so yeah, Banjo-Kazooie, one of my favorite platforming games of all time, and definitely a game without, you know, it has its fair share of spookiness sprinkled in, um, without really coming straight out and saying that it has horror elements in it. There's scary stuff in pretty much every level of this game. I'm not going to go through every single one. I'll just go through some of the highlights of Banjo-Kazooie from a spooky side. Of course, the big one that everyone is aware of is the shark. When you're in the water for too long in, you know, the pirate level, and you're swimming along, and all of a sudden the music starts to intensify like Jaws, you hear him start speaking to you, his teeth chattering, and all you know is that you gotta get the fuck out of that water. And you're sprinting in the... I mean, you're swimming, like, as fast as you can. Sprinting through water as fast as you can to get out of there before that shark really screws your day up. I mean, the whole thing... I guess to backtrack a little bit... You live in Spiralmanton. You're Banjo, and you have Kazooie in your backpack. And you live on Spiralmanton. And looking over Spiralmanton is Grunty's lair which is just a giant witch head overlooking your peaceful little, you know, meadow that you live in. And she's mean and she's evil and she kidnaps your sister. And then the entire game, you're going through her lair, which you enter and, you know, you're going through all these levels trying to get your sister back. And if you lose, your sister gets turned into a monster and then Grunty turns into, you know, she gets a very slim figure and she's quote-unquote a hot witch instead of, like, the old hag, quote-unquote, at how she sees herself. And, yeah, it's just some scary shit in the game. Of course, you have Clanker, um, who's a giant fucking, you know, shark, a mechanical shark in a level, 
and he's scary in and of its own right. I mean, you're going through this tunnel when he's introduced and you just kind of come up above the ledge and he's just staring at you straight in the face. He's not a scary character. He has a heart of gold deep down. But he just has a very scary appearance, very scary as a child. Of course, you have Mad Monster Mansion in the game where M Mumbo turns you into a jack-o'-lantern, a pumpkin, and you're running around in the spooky haunted house. So it's a good spooky time. It is scary, but, you know, you're fighting ghosts and it just all around good, fun, scary, spooky atmosphere. I mean, when the main villain of your game is a witch, you know you're in for a romping, spooky, good time. And Banjo-Kazooie is absolutely no exception to that. And it's only continued and intensified in its sequel, Banjo-Tooie, which probably came out a couple years later on N64. I don't remember the exact timeline. I probably remember getting both games like at the same time because they were probably both out by the time I was ready to play them. But Banjo-Tooie... The spooks only get spookier in the second game. It's hard for me to decide which game I like more. Of course, I've replayed Banjo-Kazooie a lot more recently and frequently. But one thing I love about Banjo-Tooie is at the beginning, like you retain all of the moves and power-ups that you learned in the first game. It's not like you have to go and relearn moves and stuff. It's as if the game literally already happened. And in that opening scene, you and your buddies are hanging out, like, playing poker or some shit. And then one of your buddies dies, like, right in front of you. He gets fried and pass out dead, gone. He's not coming back. Or is he? And you literally see him return as a ghost. And you have to go, like, to his house while his, his children are just, like, oblivious to the fact that he died. He's like, oh, when's daddy coming home? scary traumatizing spooky stuff again i said you watch him literally die right in front of you and then you go through his house go into the next part into the little jinjo village you speak to the king of the jinjos and he's letting you know that everything's going to be fine he's got it taken care of and then grunty who has since returned as a skeleton witch and has two sisters that come and save her. So now we're dealing with three witches, one of which is undead. They kill the king of the Jinjos. They zap him. And then he turns into a zombie. And you return to his house and, well, his, like, castle. And he's a zombie. His, like, dog that he has is, like, completely, like, vaporized. And there's the creepy music playing. He's wandering around. Don't get too close to him or he's going to hurt you. And I guess the main spooky level in this game, because there's spooky stuff sprinkled throughout the entire game, but the main one is the witchy world, which is basically a rundown carnival where you're fighting rats, uh, you know, like the ghost song, rats. Um, there's aliens. There's spooky music throughout. Of course, you go into the underground, like, um, lava level. I'm forgetting what it's called at this exact moment in time. You see at one point during your adventures in the carnival that one of the characters from the first game has been imprisoned and he's been in, in prison for so long he's growing like this long beard so you have to save him. You fight like a giant inflatable dragon in this, you know, in the big top house 
and spooky stuff there. Of course, there's the creepy carnival music that's playing the entire time. There's like a space level with aliens that you have to fight. Just in general, every way around this carnival is creepy. You have to get to the top of like this, um, it's like a volcano basically where like these flames are shooting at you. They're like going down like a swing. And it's just creepy, man. It's a creepy carnival. There's, you know, you have to save these bears that are lost. They have to find their mom. You have to help them out. Um, at one point later on in the game, Mumbo actually gets possessed. And you can actually play as Mumbo in this game at parts. And just everything. I mean, I don't know. There's so much, like, little hints and nods to the spooky realm in this game that make it so fun and so interesting and I really love it a lot. Witchy World is a big one. There's some spooky shit in just about every level of the game. But again, without going through the entire game talking about every level and the stuff that I personally find creepy or spooky about it could take an entire show. So just go play Banjo-Tooie uh, and Banjo-Kazooie. Both great platformers. Some of the best platforming experiences you're going to get anywhere. And especially on the Nintendo 64. Really, really great stuff. And then at that point, we're moving on to the next console that I got. I'm pretty sure I got like a Game Boy Advance at this point. But none of those games are going to be on my list. The next and last console on this is the Nintendo GameCube, which I got, you know, like opening weekend. Very excited about it. Had to get the launch title, which was, of course, Luigi's Mansion. Yes, Luigi's Mansion. I alluded it to it slightly earlier when I talked about Mario 64, how the Boo level may have been an influence or an inspiration, which are, I mean, that's the same thing. I don't know why I'm repeating myself. For Luigi's Mansion, which of course is one of my favorite GameCube games of all time. Premise of the game, Luigi earns through a contest. He wins a contest. He gets a mansion, but... He never entered that contest, did he? So, a little spooky right off the bat. It seems as if they're trying to get him to this mansion for a reason. Come to find out, Mario is trapped in the mansion, and Luigi's got to get him back. Of course, there's ghosts, there's goblins, well, mainly ghosts. There's lots of ghosts. Toad's in there, he's scared out of his mind. You're fighting bosses, there's a big boss baby. You know, you're fighting members of the family. There's, you know, you got to get the dad ghost, grandma. There's all kinds of spooky shit in there. There's, you know, there's a fortune teller ghost. There's the dancing couple ghost. There's a lot of spooky shit in this game. Of course, there's the dude, like, in the dining hall shooting flames at you. I mean, of course it's a horror influence on me. The game is in a haunted house. The entire game is in the haunted house, and you're tracking down not only ghosts... In the game, you know, like actual like ghosts, but booze as well. There's booze as well as ghosts. They are slightly different, although they are both ghost figures. You know what I mean if you play the game. Like, there are different types of ghosts. And, of course, you're sucking them up with your vacuum. There's got Pro Professor E. Gad hooks you up with that shit to suck them up. There's the museum underground where you can see all of the ghosts, like the main boss ghosts that you've captured, and their spirits, they get kind of get trapped inside of a painting, which are then hung up in the gallery. The entire, I mean, it's a horror game. I mean, literally the entire game is in a haunted mansion. It is basically the first Resident Evil game. Very, very similar. 
And these last couple games, I'm not really trying to go too far in depth. I'm trying to keep this podcast at about an hour. So I know I'm kind of cutting it close to my time limit in this. So I'm going to keep these next couple ones pretty brief. Again, I've talked about Luigi's Mansion a bunch in my top 10 games of all time podcast. So if you want to check that out, go ahead and check that out. The last two games are a little bit different because the last two games are games that one I had minimum experience playing. The other one was a game I've heard about only through Legend. Um, and I I own the game now, but at the time I did not own the game. It's a game that I really want to play. But we'll start with the one that I actually have played. We'll start with the one that I heard about through Legend. Very, very game-changing, literally. Um, played it at some friends' houses and stuff. Of course, got it later on in life and played it. That is Resident Evil 4. The first actual horror game to appear on this list was Resident Evil 4. And as I mentioned early on in this podcast, a few of my friends in elementary school even headed into junior high, like around when this game would have came out. They always had whatever games that people were talking about, whatever M-rated games were out at the time. I mean, the first Call of Duty experiences I ever had were staying the night at friends' houses. Same with like Halo, stuff like that. Like we used to have like Halo parties where my friends that all had, like, Xboxes would bring their Xboxes over, and we would all, this was before, like, Xbox Live, and we would play it, like, all in the same room together. So Resident Evil 4 was similar to that. It's a game I did not own until later in life, but it's a game that I saw friends play, and I played a little bit at people's houses. I mean, what is there really to say about Resident Evil 4 that hasn't already been said? Um, Gotta save that dog, because he's gonna help you out in the long run, I promise. Um, Lord Sadler is a fucking creep. Of course, you've got, you know, the merchant. He is an absolute icon of his era. I'm not going to go into Resident Evil 4. We've talked about the Resident Evil series many times on this show and Brain Damage before, but Resident Evil 4 was sort of the first actual horror game experience that I had playing. So, from there... I'm obviously very excited for the Resident Evil 4 remake. I'm very excited to replay Resident Evil 4. Um, I haven't played it in a very long time. Of course, I downloaded it on my PS5 when I got it. Got through, you know, like the first like little part just to like get like reacclimated, but then I never really picked it back up since then. It's one I definitely want to replay again all the way through before the remake comes out. I am very excited about the remake, but I don't know if you'll be able to top the original. Um, I mean, maybe you can. I mean, Jared and others might argue that what is there really to do a remake about in Resident Evil 4? It's already a perfect game. I think, obviously, like, control and, like, gameplay-wise, I mean, in Resident Evil 4, you can't shoot and, like, walk and stuff at the same time. So there's obviously going to be, like, more modern elements to it that weren't in the original game. I'm very excited about it. Um, again, there's not as much to say, and I'm trying to do these last couple ones brief. That's just kind of how it works out. These last couple ones are going to be brief because I'm trying to wrap up the podcast, and they're at the end. So naturally, that's how it's going to go. And the last one is the one that I still, to this day, have not played, even though I have acquired it as an adult. But it's one I heard about so much when I was a kid, we would read about it in magazines, we would see early clips online about it, we would read up about it. I think someone's like older brother had the game, and he would talk to us about it. 
That is Eternal Darkness Sanity's Requiem. Um, a game that I really am looking forward to playing all the way through. Of course, it is another horror game. It was an original M-rated game for GameCube. And basically, you're going through different timelines, trying to uncover a mystery. And the game is intentionally trying to fuck with you. So, like, at one point it says that, like, your game disc cannot be read, your memory card is corrupted, and stuff like that. On top of it just being a horror game, it's trying to psych you out in real life as well. Um, there's, again, without going into spoilers and without giving away all of, like, the horror elements and the mind-bending stuff that the game is trying to throw at you, it's hard to really talk about. It's one that I would love to play all the way through and do a full episode about. So I'm going to keep it brief about Eternal Darkness Sanity's Requiem. But again, it's one that I had heard about so much. Like, I'm talking like 4th, 5th, 6th grade, whenever this shit came out. People were would not stop buzzing about it. And then it actually became pretty rare to get. I mean, I remember trying to get it, like, in high school and stuff. Couldn't find it in any used stores or anything. Um, finally found it in Ashtabula at a used game store when I was, you know, I was probably like after college, like shortly thereafter college, I picked it up. Haven't really got the chance to play it yet. I did test it. I made sure that it works, at least to turn it on. I don't know if it's going to fake me out and say that my game disc cannot be read and I might actually believe them since it's a used game. But regardless, Eternal Darkness, Sanity's Requiem, still a big horror influence on me just from the legend and the lore and the imagery that I would see online. And although I haven't played the game, I feel like it really played a big part in shaping my horror influence at the time. So again, I'm going to I'm going to wrap up this podcast, but just to recap the list in order of playing and appearance in the podcast, Bug 2 for Sega Saturn, um, Pokemon Red and Blue for the Game Boy, for the Nintendo 64, we've got Mario 64, Majora's Mask, Donkey Kong 64, and Banjo-Kazooie and Tui. For GameCube, we've got Luigi's Mansion, Resident Evil 4, and Eternal Darkness, Sanity's Requiem. I hope you guys have enjoyed this podcast, and you know what? We're just going to get right to the outro, and I will see you there. Well, that's about it for this time, guys. I hope you enjoyed the top 10 video games that sparked my horror interest. If you guys enjoyed this episode, please make sure you're subscribing to my channel and turning on notifications so you know when new episodes of the House of Horror come out. And if you were to leave this video a rating and a review over on Google Podcasts, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever you're listening to the show, it would be greatly appreciated. I will see you guys back here tomorrow for another episode of Buddy's House of Horror. So take care and stay spooky. Oh, and if you're wondering which game I've really, really wanted to play, it's Banjo-Tooie. I can't fucking wait to play Banjo-Tooie. <laughs>